morning. Welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning, whether you're joining us right now over live stream or you're accessing this video later in the week. It's so important that as the men of God, we are in the Word of God together, especially during these times. I don't think any of us would have imagined that we're still doing life this way, yet here we are. We're so thankful for the technology that allows us to still meet together in different ways. And we really hope that you're doing that this morning or this evening or whenever you're watching this video. By design, the men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church is to be done in groups. Normally, we'd be meeting on a Tuesday morning early at 7 a.m., You'd hear from one of our pastors like me, and then we'd break into table discussion. We hope to do that soon. But for now, what we want you to do is to watch this video, to live stream with us at 7 a.m. or watch it throughout the week, and then get into a group that meets either Tuesday morning or at some point that is most convenient for you and your group. You can do that either over Zoom or you can do that in a home, in person whatever is most comfortable for you. This semester, together, we're going to be studying the parables of Jesus Christ, and we are so excited about what the parables of Jesus have to say to us, especially in this time together. And so we want you to join us. We want you to lean in, and we want you to study God's word together. It is so important that we do that together as men. So I invite you now to pray with me as we open the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here this morning. We're so grateful that you've called us as your sons. And we're so grateful that you have given us your word, that your word is still living and active, and that even 2,000 years later, these parables have something to say deep to our hearts. And so we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would touch us, that you would pierce us through, that you would break down the walls that we have put over our hearts as men, and that you would help us to truly be changed by the gospel of Jesus. We pray that you would each week use these parables to show us the kingdom of God and what it means to be part of that kingdom. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you don't have a group, I want to make sure that you do that. Go to pcpc.org slash men. You can register. We'll help you find a group. Or if you don't yet have access to our discussion questions, again, go to pcpc.org slash men. You can find the lessons there that will be posted along with the discussion questions that you can then work through together as a group. One of the things that I think about, um, about Jesus, many things to think about, but one of the things I think about is just how provocative he was. That the things that he said often did not make sense to the people who heard them. And yet, if you've grown up in a Christian context like Dallas, Texas, so often what we grow up hearing Jesus say becomes almost commonplace to us. And we have to really stop and listen to what he says to really realize just how crazy, how radical, how provocative it really was. One of the things that Jesus said just like that is in Matthew chapter 18. 
In Matthew 18, Jesus said, unless you have faith like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about that this morning for just a second. Unless you have the faith of a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is it about children and their faith that makes them more accessible to God's kingdom? Well, there are so many things to think about with that statement. We don't have time to unpack them this morning. After all, we're looking at the parables, but I want to just mention one. It's their imagination. Children have an unbelievable capacity to imagine. Now, if you're a father this morning, you've seen that firsthand. If you're an uncle or you've been around any children at all in any context, odds are you've probably seen their imagination come out. They love to pretend. They love to imagine themselves as a princess or a prince. Most of their play is centered around imagination. To imagine is in so many ways what it means to be a child. And yet as adults, that imagination fades. The question that I want you to begin to ask this morning and really throughout our entire series together is why is that? Is that just a normal part of adulthood that as we grow up, we tend to lose our imaginations? Or is that something that is unique to our time and place. As 21st century Americans, has the way that our culture works caused us to lose our capacity to imagine? And what does that do to faith? Even this morning, as I use those two words together, imagination and faith, some of you perhaps are bristling. You're thinking, well, those things don't have to do together. Faith is something that we use with our intellects. But again, as we look at the parables of Jesus together throughout this spring, I want you to see that the imagination is something that we must cultivate as Christians. Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann said it this way. He said, the key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we too are too numbed, too satiated, and too co-opted to do serious imaginative work. Uh, okay, so what does that mean? Well, Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, and, and yet he's saying there's something deficient in us as, as modern Christians that we do not have the ability to do what he calls serious imaginative work. Well, if we are going to study the parables of Jesus together, it's going to require of us to do some serious imaginative work. Why? Because the parables are stories. We've titled this series, The King's Stories, because after all, that's what the parables are. They are stories, but they're just not any kind of stories. They're the kind of stories that pierce us through, that grip our hearts, that cause us to see the world differently. They call us to use our imaginations because by using these stories, Jesus is wanting us not only to tell us the gospel, 
He's wanting us to see the gospel. And the only way that we can truly do that is if we do some serious imaginative work. Now, stories are incredibly powerful. And if there's any part of the imagination that stays with us into adulthood, it's the power of stories. I'm reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with my daughters again. And it's amazing that each night as I read the next chapter, they never want me to stop. So many other books that we might read, especially if it's assigned from school as homework, they might not want me to keep going. But there's something about C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, the way that it grabs their imagination that they never want it to end. And so I'll be reading for 15 minutes, an entire chapter, and they'll say, no, daddy, read the next one, and we'll do another 15 minutes. There's times when we'll do three chapters, four chapters, all in one sitting, and they are glued. They're gripped by it. Why? Because stories are powerful. And it's true for us as men, even as adults. Stories are still powerful to us. I want you to think about some of the most um, well-liked and well-known friends in your circles. I bet they're good storytellers. I want you to think this morning, what makes a good storyteller? What is it about those people who have the ability to tell a good story? The way when a good story is told well around a campfire, everyone stops. They listen intently. They listen in a way that is different if it's just a lecture given with bullet points. There's a difference between story and just simple lists. There's a difference between the way that we engage stories and the way that we might engage a lecture, even one kind of like this. I'll be honest, as I've studied the parables of Jesus in preparation for this study together, I've been even convicted about the way that I teach and preach. I've recognized that as Brueggemann said, I, I've lost the ability to do serious imaginative work. And because of that, I don't always teach in a way that captures the imagination. Jesus taught in stories because we listen to them and stories capture us in a way that few modes of communication really can. Now, as I said, we're going to be looking at this parable, the parable of the sower. It's from the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. But the way that I want to look at it together this morning is a little bit different. And the rest of the parables throughout our weeks together, we'll be looking at those parables verse by verse. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the story behind the story. Now, I'm not one to typically plug my own content or sermons or resources, but I did preach on the parable of the sower not too long ago in our Sunday morning worship services. If you're not part of our church, I invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or at 11. You can do so in person or you can do so online. You can also access those services and sermons well after the fact at pcpc.org. If you weren't with us because this isn't your church home, or you just didn't catch it that week, I want you to go back to the month of November, and I want you to go to the parable of the sower. Uh, I taught from the Gospel of Mark, so it's a little bit different in its uh, application and its uh, flow, 
but it's essentially the exact same parable. And I looked at it verse for verse. It's a great way for you to complement what we're going to do this morning, because this morning, rather than looking at it verse by verse, I want to look at a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples as this parable was told. The thing that makes the parable of the sower unique and different than any other parable that Jesus told is he explained this parable and what it meant. And not only did he do that, he explained why he taught in parables. And that is the question that I want us to answer this morning. Why parables? Why would Jesus teach in such a way? And this question is something that maybe you're not only asking this morning, but it's a question that Jesus' disciples asked as well. This is Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? This is our question that we want to ask together this morning, and I want you to listen for it as I read this passage for you this morning. This is Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. This is the parable of the sower. I want you to listen in. Matthew writes, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Then the disciples came and said to them, why do you speak to them in parables? That's our question this morning. And he answered them, to, the, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has been has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their ears have closed, unless they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. And this is Jesus' explanation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, and yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. 
As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. This is God's word for us this morning. So our question this morning is, why parables? It's an important question, but before we get to that question, I suppose we should answer, what is a parable? And there's many definitions that people have given throughout the centuries. Simply put, the way I want you to think about a parable is that a parable is a story, but not any kind of story, a story that has a point, a story that's meant to show us something deeper behind the story. Now, you could call that an analogy. You could call that metaphor. Some people have even gone so far to make the parables out to be allegory. But parables aren't quite an allegory. We must be careful to read too much into the parables that aren't really there. We must always realize that when Jesus taught in parables, he knew what he wanted people to see. We see that here in the parable of the sower. As Jesus explains the parable of the sower, there is a specific application to the parable. He's telling the parable in a certain way so that the hearers would either see something or that their hearts would be become even more hard than they already were. Every parable that Jesus had was intentional, and it had a specific meaning that he was trying to communicate. For us, we must ask the Holy Spirit to show us what Jesus means in each parable. The other thing is we look at the parables, is we must not ask just what are parables, but we also must ask the question, why? It's the question that the disciples asked. The question that we should ask, that any good hearer of Jesus should always ask, why? Why did he do it this particular way? Why parables? Well, I want to look at this in three ways with you this morning. And the way that I want to do that, I was going to look at Jesus's dialogue with his disciples in between the parable of the sower itself and his explanation. If you're wondering where that is in the passage, you can go to your handout and discussion guide. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 10 is where we're going to begin. It's right in between the parable and its explanation. The first way I want to look at this question, why parables, is this. Jesus taught in parables in order to reveal the kingdom of God. Again, a parable is a way that Jesus not only told us what the kingdom of God is, it's a way that he could show us what the kingdom of God is. So I want you to look with me, Matthew 13, verse 10. Again, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, listen, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now already you should notice something about what Jesus is doing. He's He's separating those who have the ability to hear and see the kingdom of God and those who don't. And it's important that you understand the context and the flow of the gospel of Matthew. That up until this point, Jesus has been proclaiming to a very select group of people about the kingdom of God. And now he's moving to a broader audience. 
He's moving to the crowds. And so if you've ever felt overwhelmed by studying the parables, for those of you who've grown up in church and been around the Bible for a long time, perhaps you've always skipped over the parables, or perhaps for you this is the first time that you've ever really considered God's word. Perhaps even for you this morning, as we get into this parable, you'll realize that, that maybe you're further away from the gospel than you thought. Maybe you've, you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never really received the good news of the gospel. Even if that's you, you are the reason that Jesus taught in parables. What I want you to see is he says to them, to the crowds, the common man, these secrets have not yet been given. So if you feel like the parables are too complicated for you this morning, I want you to know this. Jesus taught the parables to the common man. He taught parables to just the people in the crowd. We must not make this too complicated because it's not. What is complicated is not what Jesus is saying, but the way that we're receiving it in our hearts. Jesus taught parables to reveal the kingdom of God, to disclose the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, you'll see those two phrases used interchangeably throughout the gospels. It's everything to the story of Jesus. And yet it's not always everything to us, even if you call yourself a Christian today. We've heard of Jesus. Many of us have heard of his death and resurrection, but how often do you really consider and think on the kingdom of God? And yet, the kingdom of God was everything in the teaching of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. The word kingdom appears in the Bible 320 times. Now, we're looking at Matthew's account of the parable of the sower this morning. 54 of those occurrences of the word kingdom appear in the gospel of Matthew alone. In the very beginning of Matthew, Matthew 4, verse 17 we're told that Jesus began to preach, and this is what he said. The first words out of his mouth recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the beginning of, of Jesus' preaching ministry, and what does he say? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus then, after Matthew 4 and Matthew 5, preaches the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The Lord's Prayer of Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And we are taught to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we will see together this semester, Jesus taught in parables. And what's amazing about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew clusters so many parables in one chapter. It's this chapter we're looking at this morning, Matthew 13. I want you to just listen. They're not just, this is not the parable of the sower. These are several other parables that are in Matthew chapter 13 alone. I want you to listen. Matthew 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven must be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
Matthew 13, verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Matthew 13, 33, he told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Matthew 13, verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. And again, and again, and again, you see the parables begin saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like this. Why did Jesus teach in parables? He taught in parables so that not only he could tell us what the kingdom of God is like, it's so that he could show us. Why did he need to show us? Because you and I live in a world that is difficult to see the kingdom of God. It's difficult to see the kingdom of God in our world because our world is fractured. It's broken. And you and I, have made ourselves kings over little kingdoms that are bringing this world to an end. If you want to know what the kingdom of God really is, you have to see it. You have to really see differently what the kingdom of God is and who we are to be in that kingdom. One of my favorite definitions of the kingdom of God comes from Graham Goldsworthy. This is what he says, and it's very simple, and that's why I think I love it. He says, the kingdom of God involves God's people in God's place under God's rule. I'm going to read that one more time, and I want you to notice the three parts of the definition. The kingdom of God involves God's people in God's place under God's rule. In order to truly see the kingdom of God, we have to be God's people We have to recognize that this is God's place, all of this. But most importantly, we have to set ourselves under God's rule. And this is fundamentally why it's difficult for us to really see the kingdom of God. Because we don't see him as king. We would much rather play by our own rules. We would much rather build up our own lowercase little kingdoms We would much rather decide to put ourselves on the throne. But when we do that, brothers, we must recognize that we are usurping the power of the king and we are committing high treason. When we put ourselves on the throne, we are saying, get out of my chair, God, and let me be in charge. And when we do that, the kingdom of God cannot be seen. It cannot be heard. It cannot be understood And that is why Jesus taught in parables. The word of the idea of kingdom meant everything to Jesus. It means everything to the gospels. Later in Jesus's ministry, Matthew 13, verse 34, he's now taught several parables in this chapter. And Matthew gives us this summary statement. I think it's helpful for us as we think about Jesus teaching to reveal the kingdom. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. I want you to think about that. 
Not only did Jesus teach in parables, but it says that when Jesus taught these crowds, there was nothing that he said that was not taught with a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus taught in parables to reveal the kingdom like a prophet, to reveal these things that have been hidden from us because of our sin, to cut through the way that we are blind to see the things of God, to reveal to us something different and something more amazing than you and I could ever possibly imagine on our own. That's why this takes serious imaginative work, the kind of imaginative work that can only be done with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, my first question for you is this. Do you know what it means to see the kingdom of God? Do you know what it means to live under his reign and rule? To recognize that everything that you can see is, belongs to God, that this is his world that he has made. And that you has, he has called you to be not only his son, but to be his vice regent, to be his prince in his kingdom. If like me, you've been living, trying to crown yourself as king, I want you to know that you're living in sin. You're living in treason. And after all, every sin that you and I commit every single day is really an act of treason, an act of saying that my way is better than your way, God. I'd rather be king rather than you. This morning and every week that we study the parables, I want you to see it's Jesus's way of saying, come back, come back to the kingdom. Lay your weapons down and see that the king of kings Step down off of the throne, not so that you could get on it, so that he could die in your place on the cross. So he would lay his life down for you. The penalty of treason is death. And yet thanks be to God that our king died in our place on the cross and rose again so that not only we could be forgiven, but that we could now be called princes and sons in the kingdom of God. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Because he wanted to show us. He wanted to reveal the kingdom of God. The second thing I want us to see this morning, why parables? Not only do they reveal the kingdom of God, the second thing, the parables expose who we really are. And I love this so much about what parables can do. Matthew 13 Verse 12, again, this little section in between the parable of the sower and the explanation, that's where we're focusing. Matthew 13, verse 12, Jesus continues his explanation of why he speaks in parables by saying this. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This describes our life outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. This describes what our natural state is, or rather our unnatural state because of sin. We see Jesus, but we don't really see him. We, we hear Jesus, but we really can't hear him. We, we, we think that we understand the gospel, but the truth is we don't really understand it because it's not sunk deep into our bones. 
And I think this is why it's so amazing that Jesus taught in parables and why you and I have some serious work to do together. Today, we live in a society and a culture in the West that prides itself on knowledge, prides itself on understanding. Odds are, if you grew up in any kind of educational system in our country, you grew up with tests, you grew up with multiple choice, you grew up with fill in the blank. Even if you were taught in a classical way, uh, where you were caused to think, so much of the way that we are taught as Westerners is X plus Y equals Z. It's very straightforward. It's very black and white. It's very almost mathematic. And I have nothing against math. But parables do something different. The best way that I could illustrate this is how even I or our pastors communicate in a lesson like this. I could do one thing by doing what I'm doing honestly today, which is listing things, giving you a bullet point. And so often the reason why we do that is because we're trained to think that way. In fact, studies have even shown that we think in threes. And if I give you uh, four points, I'm stretching. If you give you five, six, or seven, I've lost you, right? And so we know about this, about the way that we think today. Yet that's not always how Jesus taught. In fact, What we're seeing in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus himself is saying that this is why he's teaching differently. Matthew is recording the Gospel, says there's nothing that he said to these crowds that was not in a parable. He didn't teach in these bullet points. He taught through stories. And the reason is because stories have a way of cutting through the facade that we put up as human beings. When we engage any kind of learning, we're doing so with a bit of pride, a bit of arrogance, a bit of posture that says, I know a lot. And maybe you have something to teach me, but I'm going to now put whatever you're teaching me into a grid that I've already formed. And perhaps you're even doing that this morning as I teach you. When we do this, we're putting up a wall. The other thing we have to notice is with the content that Jesus taught was not just to be received intellectually. It was to be received in the heart. The gospel is not only for the intellect. Now hear me when I say that, not only for the intellect. We do engage the gospel. We do engage the things of Jesus with our minds, but it must never stop at our minds. And again, I think you and I as 21st century Americans, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, we have a habit of doing that. We have a habit of hiding behind our intellect. That we trick ourselves to think we just know enough Christian things. If we know enough theology, then that makes us holy. But that is not the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your salvation is not something for you merely to think on here, but it's to receive in your heart through faith. And if you've put up a wall this morning, you need to do some serious imaginative work to cut through those calluses. The last group of people I might mention when it comes to this point is this. So often as I talk with non-believers, people who would even call themselves atheists, they tend to hide behind intellectual arguments. 
They'll bring up all of these different thoughts and ideas and philosophies and scientific data to try to prove that their viewpoint is right, that God does not exist. Well, that in and of itself is a statement of faith. It takes us just as much faith to be an atheist as it does to be a Christian. But not only that is what I have found is that the reason why they are an unbeliever actually has nothing to do with intellect at all, but it's deeper. Almost always, there is an emotional reason why they have trouble with the existence of God. And maybe that's the brokenness they've experienced in their own life. Maybe that's pain or suffering. Maybe it's some of the things that we will look at in just a second briefly as we open the parable of the sower at the end. So many reasons why emotionally it's hard to admit, to imagine that there is a God who loves us and is control of all things. Jesus taught in parables to expose who we really are, to push back the facade, to cut through these walls and to get to our hearts. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, and he, he talked about the difference between direct and indirect communication. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher. He talked about how indirect communication has the ability to deceive the hearer into the truth. I love that. So what I want you to think about this morning is that parables are almost like a form of indirect communication that deceive us into the truth. It's almost like they trick us. They come at us sideways they, they draw us so into the story that we don't realize that it's, it's taken a back door. It's, it's cut around the wall that we've put up, and now it's deceiving us to the truth. It's tricking us to see something we could not see if it came straight in between our eyes. One of the greatest examples in the Bible of this is not just the parables of Jesus, but it's a parable that Nathan told David in the Old Testament. I want to look at this just briefly before we go to our last point. Before we get to the last point, this is the parable we see in 2 Samuel verse 12, verse 1. Now, if you know the story, the background, David is the king of Israel, and he's just committed sin after sin after sin. Even though David is considered a man after God's heart, just like you or I, he was a sinner. And not only did he commit lust, and gazing upon a woman uh, who was sunbathing, he then committed adultery by sleeping with her, and it didn't stop there, but rather than confessing and confronting his sin, he then went to great lengths to have her husband killed. Lust, adultery, murder. We don't have time to get into all of that, but I want you to see just how heinous and destructive sin really is. It never just stops where it is, but always metastasizes and grows and festers like a cancer. And that's what it did for David. But David was too blind. His heart was too hard to see it. And so Nathan comes to him. And rather than just calling him out and saying, you're a sinner, David, this is what Nathan says. Second Samuel 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up and grew up with him with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there came a traveler to the rich man. He was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he's done this thing and because he has no pity. Now, if you're following along, and again, you can get the Bible out for yourself and look at the story, 2 Samuel verse, or 12, verse 1. Nathan knows that David has sinned. Rather than just saying, David, you're a sinner, he tells a parable. A parable that enrages David. Because as David hears this story told, he's angry at the injustice that has occurred. And then Nathan says this. Just as David's anger is kindled, as he's caught up in the story, it's captured his imagination. He's saying, no, this thing is terrible that's been done. And Nathan says to David, you are the man. This is why Jesus taught in parables. They have a way of exposing who we really are, of, of causing us to really confront who we really are. And just how treasonous we are, just how broken we are, just how needy we are, just how sinful we are, and just how we dependent we are on the good news of Jesus. The last thing I want us to see, just briefly, the parables provoke our response. Now, as Jesus taught in parables, he never just taught them expecting nothing to happen. He also didn't just teach them and just said, okay, you, um, you think about that how you want, you know? He wasn't some new age kind of teacher that just said, you know, let me just tell you a story and you just interpret that however you want and go on living and, and apply it in your own way. No, he always had a specific purpose and a specific intent to the parables that he told. He always wanted to provoke a response. The parables were provocative in that way. But what I want us to see as we end, and this is the warning, is that that response was not always a good one. In fact, Jesus taught in parables to not only expose who we really are, but he taught them as judgment that in exposing who we are, we would respond by further moving away from the kingdom of God. Or he taught them in a way that cut us through, that provoked us in such a way that we would turn from our sin and repent and come into the kingdom of God. And this is what we see in the parable of the sower. Very briefly, I want to look at this in just really one minute. The parable of the sower itself. Now, many people think that the parable of the sower is really just a sermon or a parable based on Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 in Matthew 13, verse 14 and 15. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, Jesus says, Quote, he's quoting Isaiah 6 here, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. Jesus is saying, look, God's people, our ears have grown dull, our eyes have become blind. We can no longer see the things of God. We cannot hear the gospel of Jesus 
without the saving work of the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts and minds. And that is why fundamentally Jesus taught in parables. So that it will expose the true condition of our hearts and provoke us to respond. And so Jesus taught a parable about a sower. A sower is like a gardener. And as this gardener was scattering seed, you have to notice that in today's terms, or really any day's terms, this was not very good gardening because he was scattering seeds so liberally. But this is how God's word is proclaimed to us. Jesus is proclaiming the, wor- the word of God, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again to the ends of the earth. That is a message, that is a proclamation for all people, for all time. It is spread liberally just as the gardener is scattering seed, but the seed is scattered and it hits four types of soil, which represent four types of people, four ways of responding to the gospel. Jesus taught in parables to provoke a response. The first kind of person is hard, like a hardened path, the seed, the word of God, the gospel falls on the hardened heart and it cannot penetrate Perhaps that is you this morning and this, in this season of life. Maybe you have never trusted in the gospel of Jesus and your heart is hardened. Maybe you know people like that. The only way for the gospel to break through, for the Holy Spirit to break up the stony path. The second kind of response, the second kind of person is the kind of person where the seed goes into the soil, but the soil is rocky. It's rocky because of hardship and suffering and distress. Maybe that is you this morning. Maybe this year during this pandemic, you've experienced unimaginable hardship and suffering. It's caused you to question your faith. This is the second kind of response. Uh, we, We receive the good news of Jesus with faith, but when the storms of life come, they they set up these rocks in our hearts and they lodge themselves in such a way that it crowds out the gospel and prevents it to grow. We need the Holy Spirit to break up those rocks, that those rocks might become rich soil and fertile ground, that where there is hurt in us, there could be a harvest. The third kind of response that we see in the parable of sower is the kind of soil where the seed grows, but there's thorns and there's thistles and there's weeds that choke it out. Jesus says this kind of response is a person that receives the gospel, but over time, the idols of this world, the distractions that we experience, the sin in our lives choke out the gospel. And we're so distracted by other things and we spend all of our time worshiping other gods are building up our own little kingdoms that the gospel cannot take root. There is only one of the four kinds of soil that Jesus mentions that provokes a response of fruitfulness. Let that be a warning to us, brothers, as we study the parable together this semester Only one kind of response bears fruit. As you and I look at the parables together, may we do so prayerfully, honestly, openly, and vulnerably to lay ourselves before Jesus and to allow him to speak to us, to do some serious imaginative work so the parables might truly show us who Jesus is, why he is our king, 
And what great links our King has done for us to die and to rise again, that we might now see and hear and understand the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this study that we'll be in together. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to study God's word. We pray now as we go into our groups, whether in person or over Zoom, that you would help us to do so in a way that gets beneath the surface. Help us to ask questions that get down to the heart that we might truly begin to wrap our hearts that through your Holy Spirit and the gift of illumination, we might even use our imaginations by your grace to not just hear the gospel, but to see it as well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.